Bibles, go to 1 Kings chapter 8. 1 Kings chapter 8. And uh, it is just awesome to be able to look in the Old Testament and uh, see the correlations uh, in the New Testament and, and other areas of the Old Testament. Uh, the, the Old Testament certainly isn't boring, amen? There's a, a lot of good stuff in there. And uh, I thank God for the Old Testament, and hope, hopefully you do too. Uh, but we're going to be looking at 1 Kings chapter 8 tonight. And over the last several weeks, we've looked at the temple. We've seen the specific furniture and the monuments of brass that uh, were made by Hiram of Tyre. And again, he, it wasn't the king uh, of Tyre uh, that we saw in chapter 3 and 4, uh, but rather a worker of brass that was very skilled uh, in what he, he did, and included in his works of brass uh, were those two freestanding pillars. And you remember, uh, they named the pillars Yachin and Boaz. In him is strength, uh, and he keeps his promises. And uh, they were in, in the front of the temple, and then also the basins, the very large basin, the, the, the molten sea it was called, and uh, also those other smaller basins, uh, the ten basins that were, you had five on one side of the temple and five on the other side, they were used for cleansing of priests and cleansing of offerings. And we just talked about, really last week, about how God cares about our purity. And He really does. He really cares about our holiness. And thank you for that. <laughs> uh, everybody's quiet tonight. I don't know what the deal is with the testimonies, you know. Everybody's quiet. Maybe everybody's still taking a nap from this afternoon. I don't know. Uh, but if, if nobody says amen, Mike, just do that a couple times, okay? Uh, where was I? Anyway, so uh, purity, hol- holiness, right? That's, that's what we talked about last week. And uh, if you struggle with holiness, and you're not going to like this message tonight either, uh, because that's what we're going to talk about again. Uh, but I don't think we can overemphasize the need for holiness. Our God's holy. He wants you to be holy. But uh, in chapter 8, you know, Solomon, he also had vessels of furniture, Uh, Vessels and furniture of gold uh, that were made for the temple, such as the altar, the candlesticks, and uh, the table of showbread, among other things. And now, here we are, we're going to chapter 8, and the stage is set. Uh, The day has come. The long-awaited moment was finally here. That which David had longed to see, that which he had, had desired for so long, had finally come. It was finally coming to pass. The Lord had a real dwelling place. He no longer had a tent. He had a, a real dwelling place that would bring glory to him. And this entire chapter, chapter 8, it's a long chapter, but it speaks to the dedication and the commencement of this temple of God. Now in our day, uh, we see people or buildings often get dedicated to the Lord. Uh, you know, we, we've seen baby dedications. We had one not too long ago where the parents, they promise, uh, they publicly promise to make sure that they do all that they can to bring up their child uh, in the admonition of the Lord. And, and they publicly dedicate that child to God. And what we see in our text tonight, and what we'll continue to see for a few weeks, is that Solomon, he wanted to dedicate this house to God. He wanted to publicly proclaim to God, this house is yours. It's for you. So this was really the crowning event of the temple. And with all the work that had gone into it, we know there was a lot of work. It took seven years, and who knows how many men, all in all, worked to, to get this temple 
to be what it was meant to be. But with all the work that had gone into it, uh, this right here, it topped it all off. And it would be the mark of a new era. So we're gonna, what we're going to do is, over the next three, four, five weeks, whatever it may be, we're going to split up chapter 5 in the five parts that it is split up in. Uh, and we'll see the awesome wonder of God as we do it. We're, from verses 1 to 11, which is what we're going to see tonight, and that's all we're going to see tonight, we're going to see how Solomon brought the ark to the temple and the significance of it, what it meant. Uh, next week, we'll see Solomon's address to Israel from verses 12 to uh, 26. We'll see Solomon's prayer to God from verses 27 to 53, and, and there's a lot in that. And we'll see Solomon's blessing of the people in verses 54 to 61. And then finally, we'll see Solomon's final dedication of the temple in verses 62 to 66. Now, how long all that will take, I have no idea. Uh, but it'll take however long it takes. But let's read 1 Kings chapter 8 and look at verse 1. The Bible says, Then Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, of uh, the chiefs of the fathers of the children of Israel, unto King Solomon in Jerusalem, that they might bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of the city of David, which is Zion. And all the men of Israel assembled themselves unto the King Solomon at the feast in the month uh, Ethanim, which is the seventh month. And all the elders of Israel came, and the priests took up the ark, and they brought up the ark of the Lord, and the tabernacle of the congregation, and all the holy vessels that were in the tabernacle, even those that the priests and the Levites bring up. And King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel that were assembled unto him were with him before the ark, sacrificing sheep and oxen that could not be told nor numbered for multitude. And the priest brought in the ark of the covenant of the Lord unto his place, into the oracle of the house, to the most holy place, even under the wings of the cherubims. For the cherubims spread forth their two wings over the place of the ark, and the cherubims covered the ark and the staves thereof above, and they drew out the staves that the ends of the staves were seen out of the holy place before the oracle, and they were not seen without, and there they are unto this day. There was nothing in the ark save the two tables of stone which Moses put there at Horeb when the Lord made a covenant with the children of Israel, when they came out of the land of Egypt. And it came to pass, when the priests were come out of the holy place, that the cloud filled the house of the Lord, so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord had filled the house of the Lord. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the Old Testament and uh, just the amazing insight that we get. And I thank you so much for the, how we can see how uh, it, it all points to you. It points to Christ. We thank you for that. I pray, Lord, that you'll help us as we see the beauty of your holiness that we'll be compelled to just worship you. And I will be moved and, and driven to live our lives for you because you are worthy of it. I pray that you help us to be holy as you are holy. And Lord, I pray you'll just work in the preaching of your word this evening. I pray you'll give me the right words to say. In your holy and precious name, amen. So as Solomon uh, prepared to take this Ark of the Covenant out of Zion, out of the city of David, and, and to this new temple... He brought these elders, he brought these head of the tribes and the chief of the fathers all together. And these uh, groups included very highly respected men that were in charge of local government. They were in charge of the justice of Israel. And they would also be trusted advisors to the king and they would be consulted over important matters. 
Now, in 1 Kings chapter 12, uh, one day we'll get down there, uh, but it tells us about how Rehoboam went to the older men of Israel, uh, his elders, and he asked them for counsel concerning the workload of the people. I'm not sure how many of you are familiar with that, uh, but he ultimately went against their counsel and decided to heed the counsel of the younger men, uh, as he did have the final say. But these heads of tribes, they were advisors to the kings. They would, they would give him counsel. But they also were responsible to learn the law of God. They were responsible to uh, teach it to their families. They were responsible to lead their uh, extended family unit to obey it. And I've said this very often, and it's come up many times, but we know that in American Christianity today, this has become a lost practice, where fathers are teaching their kids the Word of God. But it's something that should be a common thing uh, in, fa- in the lives of fathers and in families today. Uh, dads, listen, you are responsible to teach your children about the Word of God and lead them to obey it. Amen. That's your job. And, and listen... I know this isn't popular, but I don't care. It's biblical. Do not leave it up to your wife. Don't leave it up to your wife because you're the head of the home. God has ordained you to be the spiritual leader of your family. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23, uh, one of many verses that speaks to this, the Bible says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And by the way, that verse and all the other verses that talks about that is not only to be applied when it's convenient, when you want to make a certain decision. It's not meant to uh, be applied only when uh, you want to do something and you don't care what your wife says. Look, if that's how you look at it, then you're taking it wrong. You need to lead your family in that which isn't convenient. You need to lead your family in that which isn't easy. And I'll tell you what, at times, leading your family in teaching the law of God It can be hard. It can be easy to let that slip. It can be easy not to uh, do what you're supposed to do, uh, but you need to lead your family and teach your children about the things of God when opportunities arise. And you need to uh, find teaching moments in everyday life and show the glory of our great God. Teach them. Don't leave it to your wife. And also say this, don't leave it to the church either. If all your kids get of God is, is from the church, and that's a big problem. To do that, to just leave it up to the church, is to hand off your God-given responsibility to somebody that doesn't belong to. So lead your family in the word of God. Let's look again at verse 2. Chapter 8, verse 2. It says, And all the men of Israel assembled themselves unto King Solomon at the feast in the month Ethanim, which is the seventh month. So this large meeting... It was actually held during a jubilee year, which was a year of rest. And it was picturing the rest that we now have in Christ. And it was pointing to the rest that we have in Christ and his finished work on the cross. Now, this meeting, it was held in the seventh month, which for us, it would be September. That's what it would be for our calendar. But uh, this coincided with the Feast of Tabernacles, which was a ser- uh, really served as a reminder of God releasing the Israelites from Egypt. So all these things... Uh, it pictured something. It all was significant. Uh, significant, And this whole meeting that happens here in verse 1 and 2 took place in order to see the Ark of the Covenant go to the temple. Now remember, the Ark of the Covenant represented what? God's presence. Let's go look at that. Uh, there's many verses that speak to this, but let's go to Psalm chapter 80. Go to a couple places here in Psalm. 
the, the ark represented the presence of the Lord. And it just speaks to the importance of it. And look at Psalm chapter 80, verse 1. It says in Psalm chapter 80, verse 1, Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, that thou leadest Joseph like a flock, thou that dwellest between the cherubims shine forth. And of course, it's speaking there of the Ark of the Covenant. And go back, go forward actually to Psalm 99. And look at verse 1. Psalm 99, verse 1. It says, The Lord reigneth. Let the people tremble. He sitteth between the cherubims. Let the earth be moved. So this ark, the ark of the covenant, it was a symbolic dwelling place of the very presence of God. So because of this, the the seriousness of this occasion, they they really had to ensure that they went about this God's way. They weren't just going to have a couple people, all right, hey guys, let's go move this ark of the covenant. No, (laughs) this was very serious. They went about this very meticulously. Let's go back to our text of 1 Kings chapter 8 to see that. 1 Kings chapter 8, and look at verse 3. It says in verse 3 and 4, And all the elders of Israel came, and the priest took up the ark. And they brought up the ark of the Lord, and the tabernacle of the congregation, and all the holy vessels that were in the tabernacle, even those did the priests and the Levites bring up. Now, the priests were the ones to bring the ark to the new temple. And they did so because, well, for one, the, tree, the priests were the traditional custodians of the ark. But they also did it because this is what God wanted them to do. This is how God wanted it to happen. You couldn't just pick some random person to go touch the ark. They had, the priests had to do it. And as they were bringing the ark to the temple, I want you to see that they didn't do it casually at all. Look at verse 5. Look what they did. It says, And King Solomon and all the congregation that were, with, that were assembled unto him were with him before the ark, sacrificing sheep and oxen that could not be told nor numbered for multitude. This is crazy, okay? It's really awesome what was happening here. What took place here was just, it just shows us how careful Solomon was to make sure that God was pleased with every aspect of this temple dedication. As these priests, they were bringing the, the ark from uh, Zion to uh, Mount Moriah. Solomon and the elders went, as it says, before the ark. They went ahead of the ark and they sacrificed so many sheep and so many oxen that the amount was innumerable. You couldn't even count how many sheep and oxen they killed. So it's likely, it doesn't tell us, but it's likely that there was some sort of a line from Zion to Mount Moriah where altar stations would be set up so that the sacrifices could be made as the ark and these priests were approaching and past each checkpoint. And they were just, when the ark was coming, they were sacrificing these animals. Now the distance from point A to point B is unknown, But Solomon did this in an effort to bring honor and glory to God. He went above and beyond to worship and praise God with these sacrifices. So again, I don't know how this this all happened, but if it was a line, it just shows us uh, how the, the holiness of God, when you are going to go before the presence of God, there's a need for blood. There's a need 
for blood in order to enter into his presence. And truly, we know that the blood of Jesus Christ is the only way that we will dwell in the fullness of his presence in heaven. You have to trust in the blood of Christ. But God, he would be very well pleased with this monumental occasion because it really did glorify him. And after all these sacrifices were made, it was time to put the ark where it belonged, in the Holy of Holies of the temple. Look at verse 6. It says, And the priest brought in the ark of the covenant of the Lord unto his place, into the oracle of the house, to the most holy place, even under the wings of the cherubims. For the cherubims spread forth their two wings over the place of the ark, and the cherubims covered the ark and the staves thereof above. And they drew out the staves, that the ends of the staves were seen out in the holy place before the oracle, and they were not seen without, and there they are unto this day. There was nothing in the ark save the two tables of stone which Moses put there at Horeb, when the Lord made a covenant with the children of Israel when they came out of the land of Egypt. So, considering how meticulous and considerate uh, everything surrounding this whole event had been done, I want you to just imagine how careful the priest must have been when they walked into that holy place and when they placed the Ark of the Covenant uh, in this holy place next to the, the cherubims. Now, prior to this day, as we read here, uh, well, prior to this day, the, the ark, inside the ark, they'd have a pot of manna. They had Aaron's rod that budded from Numbers chapter 17. And they also had the two tablets of stone with the Ten Commandments that were inscribed on them. But now, according to our text, the only thing that was in the ark was the two tablets of stone that contained God's law. Look again at verse 9. It says, in verse 9, there was nothing in the ark save the two tables of stone which Moses put there at Horeb when the Lord made a covenant with the children of Israel when they came out of the land of Egypt. So that's what they put in there. They put in the Ark of the Covenant the law of God. What do we, what do we see from that? What do we learn from that? In that, we learn that the word of God and his presence are linked together. Look, God cares about his law. He cares about his word. And you know, so many today... Uh, even in church services and in everyday life, uh, when they look to uh, get something from God, so many are looking for some sort of feeling. We're, we're so feelings-based and we're feelings-driven. We're looking, a lot of times, we're looking for some sort of special energy that we can call the presence of God. And all the while, when Christians are doing this, so often their Bible remains like this. It remains closed. Look, if you want God's presence, if you want to hear from God, open the Bible and read it. Open the Bible and read the Word of God. If you truly want to worship God, then have reverence for His Word. That's worship. I laughed when I saw this photo. I don't remember when I saw it, but it was a photo, and this, this person said to another person, they said, I really want to hear from God. And then this, the person that he said this to said, well, read the Bible. And then the person replied, I want to hear him audibly. And the person said, then read it out loud. <laughs> Hello, right? If you want to hear from God, read the Bible. And if you want to hear him audibly, read it out loud. Look, we need the word. Never be deceived 
and rely on emotional feelings, and I'll even say this, don't rely on certain music as a gauge of whether or not God's presence is among us. And you can't, you can't use feelings as a gauge of whether or not God's presence is in your life either. If God's word is being read, if God's word is being put forth, his presence is here regardless of how you feel. He's here. One pastor truthfully said that the heart can only go as high in worship as it can go deep in theology. That's, that's another reason why we're looking at theology on Wednesday night, so that we can learn who God is because it's going to drive us to worship him in spirit and in truth. So true worship is grounded in real knowledge of God. And the way that we know God is by knowing his word. And may God help us to be a church that's never focused on feelings, we're never focused on emotionalism, and then brand it as worship. Because then what will happen is we'll become self-focused instead of God-focused. It's then that Christ will be on the outside knocking, looking to come in. But when you know God and you look to what he says, the presence of God will be made real in your life. And as Solomon, as he honored God and he honored his word by putting uh, the, the, the law of God in that ark, uh, it yielded incredible results. And God signaled his approval of the temple and everything that went on that day. Let's look again at 1 Kings chapter 8 and look at verse 10. It says in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 10, And it came to pass, when the priests were come out of the holy place, that the cloud filled the house of the Lord, so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord had filled the house of the Lord. This is awesome. The, the glory of God filled his new house. It was just so thick. Uh, and his, his, the, the Ark of the Covenant was set in the holy place, and the brilliance and the glory of God was on full display in the temple. And this same glory cloud that had led the Israelites through the wilderness, the same cloud that appeared on several occasions before Moses and even conversed with him, had now filled the temple. And his presence was just so immense that those that were in the temple, they were struck by it. There was no fuzzy feelings here, but rather an overwhelming sensation that drove them out of the temple. His presence was so uh, real and so uh, just evidence that they had to leave. They couldn't stay. The priests, they were so struck and so overwhelmed by the awesome and holy presence of God, they could not go about their normal duties and minister because of it. Just imagine. And the very same thing happened at the dedication of the tabernacle back in Exodus 40. Let's go and look at that. Exodus chapter 40, the last chapter of the book. And look at verse 31 of Exodus 40. Exodus chapter 40, verse 31. It says... And Moses and Aaron and his sons washed their hands and their feet there. And let me stop right there. You remember last week? What were the basins for? What was that big molten sea for? So they could wash their hands and their feet. So they could be clean. So they could be pure. Look at verse 32. And when they went into the tent, which was the tabernacle of the congregation, and when they came near unto the altar, they washed 
as the Lord commanded Moses. And he reared up the courts round about the tabernacle and the altar and set up the hanging of the court gate. So Moses finished the work. Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter into the tent of the congregation because the cloud abode thereon and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So just as God did in 1 Kings 8, he confirmed to Moses and the Israelites that they had, they had properly set up his dwelling place and they filled, and then he filled it with his holy presence. Now, in the Old Testament, uh, if you know anything about it, you know that the glory of God would depart at times when God's people were living in sin. Now, this would uh, happen prior to the building of the temple. It would happen again. And the ark being in the holy place, it did not guarantee God's presence to be among his people. But God's presence had left before, it would leave again. In fact, in Ezekiel, uh, I believe it's Ezekiel 9, it also talks about in Ezekiel 11 and 13, uh, he had many visions, Ezekiel did, had many visions of his glory departing. And we know that it would. We know, as I mentioned this morning, there would be 400 years of silence. But the glory would return, and it would return in the person of Jesus Christ. And I want to look at uh, this glory revealed, uh, and we know this as a transfiguration. Let's go to Matthew chapter 17, and we'll see uh, the glory of God on display here in the person of Jesus Christ to Peter, James, and John. Look at Matthew chapter 17, verse 1. Verse 1, it says, And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into an high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias talking with him. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee, and one for Moses, and one for Elias. While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud, which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face, and were sore afraid. And Jesus came and touched them, and said, Arise, and be not afraid. We see a very similar reaction to the glory and presence of God being revealed here as Peter, James, and John, they fall to the ground in fear. The, the priests in 1 Kings chapter 8, they had to leave because they just could not stand the presence of God uh, the way that it was uh, there. And, and here these disciples are, they fall to the ground in fear and involved in with His glory is the beauty of His holiness. Uh, and when we see the holiness of God, church, in contrast to our own unrighteousness, we too will know all we can do is worship Him. That's all we can do. And as Christ in Matthew chapter 17, as He was transfigured before the eyes of these three men, His appearance changed and He revealed to these three men the glory and the presence of God as He had come back and returned really in the form of man. And after a long exile, after a long period of silence, the presence of God had returned. And one day, all that are in Christ, look, if you're in Christ, one day you're going to see Him in the fullness of His glory. 
you're going to see him in an even greater way. And you're going to, have, you're going to stand in his presence and, and feel it in an even greater sense than those priests did in, in 1 Kings chapter 8. And even greater than these disciples did. 1 John chapter 3 verse 2 tells us, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Can you imagine seeing God in the fullness of his glory? Now, a cloud of glory would accompany Christ as he ascended into heaven in Acts chapter 1 verse 9. But you know, one day we're going to see his glory fully revealed and it's going to be an awesome day. But while Christ, we know that he did depart, he left the earth. We know that the, the glory and the Spirit of God is never going to be fully revealed on earth, at least not in our lifetime until He comes back. Uh, he, he doesn't come to us like He did in the temple. We'll never be able to be in like a building and then have the presence of God just be so uh, filling this, the place that we just can't stand it and we leave. But the glory of God and His Spirit does reside in each one of His children. You are the temple. Christ said, that he would leave us with the comforter. What is the comforter? That's the Holy Spirit. And just as the glory of God filled that temple in 1 Kings 8, the glory of God fills each believer because they are now the temple of God. And we've talked about this a little bit, but again, this is just, it just keeps coming up. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. You are the temple of the living God. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. There's a lot of verses that we could go to, and I'll reference a few more. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, look at verse 16. It says in verse 16, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, he sh him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Hey, listen, you are the sanctuary. You are the temple. You are the dwelling place of the Most High God. That's a very, it's crazy to consider that he would allow that. But that's what you are. If you're saved, the, and the Spirit and the glory of God that filled the temple in 1 Kings chapter 8, that very same Spirit now resides in you if you are in Christ. And because of this, we need to live out what is living within us. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Let's go there. It's a couple pages over. Page or two over. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19. Well-known passage. Paul speaks about how uh, the, our body is to be the Lord's. And look at uh, verse 19. He says, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? See that? You're not your own. Your body belongs to God. Look at what it says in verse 20. If you're saved, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Hey, if you've been saved, if you've been redeemed, you belong to God. You are His. The temple, it belonged to God. Uh, Solomon, because he knew that temple was the house of God, it was the dwelling place of God, he was very cautious to make sure that he glorified him in that temple. And because you, as a child of God, because you are now the temple of the living God, we too must live in a way that is very cautious to glorify God with our body. 
We can't be careless. Our body is a shrine for the Holy Spirit, but do you strive to glorify Him in all that you do? Are you living holy? Are you striving to be godly? I'm not asking if you, if you appear holy on the outside, but do you genuinely strive to be holy in every aspect of your life? In that which is seen and that which is unseen. And if you love God, then you will not love and continually practice evil. If you love that which God hates and you're continually practicing wickedness, and I want you to know you're doing a disservice to Christ. And you're also doing a disservice to yourself. In the lives of many that claim to know Christ, there's not a hint of the Holy Spirit of God in their life because they continuously do that which is contrary to His nature and they live as if it doesn't matter. They have grieved Him. But as the the presence of God, as it compelled Peter, James, and John to fall on their face and worship this holy God, by their example, we see what we need to do. The glory and presence of God in our life will cause us again to know His holiness in contrast to our wickedness and move us to live Holy. If we know how holy God is and who He is, and we are in awe of who He is, we are going to be compelled to worship Him, but also hate our sin. Hey, listen, I know you hate everybody else's sin. I know I hate everybody else's sin. How about your sin? Listen, do you hate your sin? Do you hate what God hates in your life? Do you hate your sin? It's very easy, and and I'm not saying this is wrong at all because we should hate it, but it's very easy to hate the sin of homosexuality because we don't struggle with it. It's very easy to uh, hate the sin of of adultery if we don't struggle with it. It's very easy to... Hate somebody else's greed if we don't struggle with it. But do you hate your sin? You know, if God were to have his way with each of us tonight, then every single one of us would be broken over our sin. We'd hate it. We would be broken over our wickedness. We would be broken when we watch the things that God hates. We would be broken when we think on the things that God hates. We would be broken when we wear what He hates and we speak in a manner that He hates and we give our time and our resources to idols that He hates. If the Spirit of God moved in us as it did in the temple, you know what would happen? We would repent and renounce the sin that overtakes us. We would no longer relish in what displeases Him and what uh, He despises. God calls us to manifest His glory until He comes. So be set apart. Be holy. Be godly. Resist what God hates and love Him. You need to delight in Him and in His holiness and pursue Jesus Christ, yield to the spirit that's within you. And if you don't have the spirit within you, then you must be born again. But we must allow God to have his way. 
We need to be careful to glorify God in our temple as Solomon was so careful to glorify God in this temple of 1 Kings chapter 8. And just as pleasing God took the sacrifices of animals, that, that's why, look, that's why he was sacrificing animals all along that journey from Zion to Mount Ararat. He did it because he wanted to please God. He was doing the blood sacrifice, the burnt offerings to please God. And just as pleasing God took those sacrifices on those animals, as that ark went from, uh, from where it was in Zion to the temple, in order to please God and in order to allow the Holy Spirit to have control of your heart, I want you to know and understand very clearly that you will have to make some sacrifices. You will have to give up some things. If you desire to live a holy life, and if you desire to live godly, you're not going to be able to do what most people do. You're not going to be able to live the way the natural man wants to live. And if you're going to be holy and glorify God with your life, there will be ungodly places that you cannot go to. There will be things that you cannot watch. There will be things that you, uh, people that you cannot be around. You cannot see them. You cannot go to their house. You cannot be where they are. And that which is ungodly, it has to be seen as repulsive because it is to God. So here's the question tonight. Do you desire to be holy? Are you willing to make the sacrifices? Do you love God enough to give up the wicked things that he hates because you love him and you want his son to be glorified in you? To live a life that pleases the flesh instead of glorifying God is to live a wasted life. And someday, many are going to find out when they stand before God and have to answer for all that they did. But you cannot live holy while allowing yourself to take part in that which God hates. Listen, you must choose godliness and holiness or sin and corruption. Which one? And more and more, people are choosing the latter. But may we as individuals yield to God every day. May we glorify Him with our temple because we were bought with a great price. The Spirit of God filled the temple and God was glorified. And if you're his child this evening, his spirit is in you, but do you glorify him? Is it obvious to those around you that he's dwelling within you? Are you living a holy life? And this world has enough carnal Christians. This world needs more godly Christians. This world needs more holy Christians. And I'm not saying holier than thou when you're going around and you're acting like you're better than them. No, if you're holy, you're going to be humble too. You're going to be meek. You're going to have humility. But this world needs godly Christians, so we must decide today to be just that. And then when that happens, you just watch and see how God's going to work in your life. It's not going to be easy. It's hard. It is hard to yield daily to the Holy Spirit. But when, God, when we allow that to happen, it's amazing what God can do. Look what he did in 1 Kings chapter 8. Just an incredible movement of God. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.